Hi, and welcome to another episode of Occupied. This episode, I had the privilege of bringing in my very first physiotherapist. And I know what you're thinking. A physio on an OT podcast, he has gone nuts. But Taryn is someone I have known since we were both at university. uh, And she's taking her physio practice down a very non-traditional route, which is what I wanted to bring her on and discuss today. It's a fascinating story, and I really love her perspective on health and healthcare. Uh, I, there are so many things that correlate so well with occupational therapy and where I see the future of our profession going as well. She's a, an amazing physiotherapist and an integrated uh, practitioner. She's written books, she's got podcasts, uh, all the links for those will be in the show notes. She has released a book, there will be a giveaway of that book to a member of our Patreon community over at Occupied Plus. If you want to stick around to the very end of the podcast, I will give you more information around how you can possibly win a copy of Taryn's book. Uh, But for now, please enjoy the podcast. G'day, my name's Brock Cook and welcome to Occupied. In this podcast, we're aiming to put the occupation in occupational therapy. We explore the people, topics, theories and underpinnings that make this profession so incredible. If you're new here, you can find all of our previous episodes and resources at OccupiedPodcast.com. But for now, let's roll the episode. So, how did you get into physiotherapy? Well, it's a great question because sometimes I wonder that for myself. Uh, I remember when I was really young and I was a a gymnast and I had injured my foot and I did go to see a physiotherapist and that sparked some interest in me and I thought, gee, this seems like a really cool job. But then in my high school years, I really liked um, law as a subject at school And I began studying criminology and criminal justice of all things. And I lasted about less than six months at university before I was calling mum and dad and saying, please come and get me. (laughs) This is not me. Um, So I realized that very quickly. And then I was living in Mackay. My next door neighbor actually came and said to me one day, oh, did you know physio is opening up in Townsville um, applications close on Friday. And I feel like it was probably Wednesday when she told me. I was like, okay, I'll give it a crack. Um, sent in this application feeling like if I get in, then great. If I don't, well, no worries. Uh, feeling a little lost in my life of like, what what do I actually want to do? And I managed to become successful and found myself moving to Townsville and yeah, staying there probably oh, well well over ten years later, um, working in the hospital as a physiotherapist. And that's like where we met. We actually lived together for a, a short period of time as well during while we were both at uni back in the day. Um, so you, when you went into the hospital, like what area were you working as a physio? Yeah. I started out like most physiotherapists and OTs as well in the hospital environment where we do the rotational, you know, um, so all areas of the hospital. 
uh, and I became a senior therapist uh, as a clinical educator in the acute setting. And it's so interesting because uh, cardiorespiratory was my least favourite subject uh, at university and something that I felt least skilled in. But then when I was immersed in the environment, it was something that I felt really um, quite enjoyable. And I did like the teaching role, uh, but to be honest, there were many things about hospital physiotherapy and the environment that just weren't for me. Um, my husband still works as a physiotherapist in the hospital setting and he loves it and it really is for him. Um, but for me, I just knew that this wasn't my life path, if you like, um, but it was certainly something that suited me for that time in my life. Is it something that, and I, I'm going to, kind of think I know the answer but is it something you feel like it's one of those things where you like you wouldn't change it because there's lessons that you learnt from it even though it's not sort of the ultimate goal yeah and certainly what that set me up for was being a really good uh, practitioner who understand or understood evidence-based uh, approach to physiotherapy and you know all of the aspects of uh communication skills you know so much that the hospital setting brings and the supportive environment of course of having more senior therapists who can guide me um, or who could guide me so that was really great but I just had this sense of I, I actually didn't believe at that time that you could find work that truly lit you up that you were passionate about that didn't feel like work that for me was something that some people could achieve but it wasn't for me and so when I was working in that environment it was like yeah this is some like good enough uh, but not something that I felt so passionate about that I was going to work enthusiastically yeah. every day for sure so what what was the, I guess, the the straw that broke the camel's back? What was it that made you sort of pull the trigger and go, all right, no, nah, I'm making a change? Yeah, and for a lot of women who particularly work within women's pelvic health, um, it's a similar story. But for me, it was having my first child. And so the birth of my first child was, there was two aspects to that. There was one, a deeper understanding of women's health and pelvic floor health but more so for me it was the at that point in time was this sensation that if I'm going to spend time away from my little person who I love so much and handing the care over to somebody else for two days a week I want to be going to a job that I feel so passionate about that lights me up as much as being a mother does yeah and that wasn't going to be the hospital and in in, in that um instance as well is what I was looking for was a career path that would be ultimately flexible around children and I knew as I was continuing down the hospital physio path that it would have been a commitment of an 8 till 4.30 hours, a particular days a week, and by school age, it would have become an expectation that I was doing that a full time again. And for me, there were so many things about that that just felt 
deeply wrong in my body as a mother that I knew I had to create something different for myself where I could choose my own hours, how many days a week I was going. I could be home for school holidays. And so it was that uh, longevity of like looking ahead of how will this look in, you know, seven years' time uh, and I need to make a change now so that I don't get stuck, in quotation marks, um, in in this career path that then I feel like I can't um, be build out of yeah and so it became really important to me at that time to find something that was more flexible as a working mum so was it immediate that you're like I'm gonna have to build this myself or were there other options that you sort of toyed around with or what was where was your head at oh gosh my head was in such a lost place um I actually in that in uh, back then didn't even know that it was going to be women's physiotherapy I was I was exploring all of the options and I was thinking that perhaps physiotherapy wasn't even going to be the answer. Um, yeah, I was really into triathlon then um, and um, being quite competitive in triathlon as well. You know, all the ideas were floating around in my head. Maybe I become a triathlon coach. Maybe uh, there was, you know, maybe I create some sort of apparel and sell that. You know, I was really unsure open to everything everything, but also very confused it was a very scary um time in my life because it felt like I was um really I was very confused and there was a sense of urgency that I had to know the answer quickly and the answer wasn't coming quickly um so yeah it was um scary for me back then yeah, I was going to ask you about the the physio thing because I know that that's a lot of that's a, something I hear very often from OTs is like I I you know there might be a similar story they might be working in a hospital they're like this isn't for me I want to do something different but can I do that sort of within OT or do I have to go and do something else and I know a lot of OTs that have done both really so some will um, find ways to incorporate. Uh, other aspects that they're more passionate about into their clinical work and then others will go off and do something completely different because that's that's where their their gut feeling is leading them kind of thing so i was i was curious to see whether it was uh, I, i've always i've only ever really heard of those, those stories from ot so i was curious whether or not it was an ot thing or whether it's something that happens in other professions yeah and i feel like Uh, what OT really sets you up for and physio does this as well is that and as you were alluding to before that you you develop so many great skills through learning what you learn in OT or physiotherapy that actually then can set you up so beautifully for other career paths if you choose to do so. Mm. And so there's never a wasted education um, or all of those skills that you develop along the way. And I feel like um, OT particularly is a really beautiful one that sets you up with such a vast array of skills that you can put into uh, other avenues. And for me, when I was sort of thinking about like what what will I do it really was the time had to pass for the pathway to unfold for then the answer to reveal itself to me of like how do I get there so I couldn't have planned it myself it was really a progressive of 
how life panned out for me that then showed me, oh, this is where I'm passionate about. This is the field of work that I want to be in. And it did happen to fit in with the realm of physiotherapy. But I've also stepped quite outside of the box as a physiotherapist as well and made it very unique to my own way of working. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, we're going to get to that because I was, there are a thousand different facets to what you do now, um, as opposed to just being a physiotherapist. But what was the first, uh, I guess, step outside of that realm? So you've, you've realized that that sort of hospital life, that hospital, I don't know, I was going to say it's a grind, but I'm sure some people really enjoy it, but that, that sort of practice area wasn't for you. So you've waited, you've waited for the answer to come to you. What was the answer? What was the first thing that you did? when you sort of decided to step outside of the, the box, as you say? Well, the, the first thing I really, well, I stepped into women's physio and that was more because of people asking me, how do you get back into exercise and fitness after having a baby? And I was becoming more aware of some of the challenges that women face in terms of exercise post-birth with prolapse and incontinence. And so there was an element of pelvic wellness that I wanted to dive into. Mm -hmm. And so it was to develop my skills in that area. Uh, and so further study was one step. But when I'm thinking about a more holistic pathway was really um, from my own journey with my own pelvic health concerns, particularly it was pelvic pain. And I was really taking a physio or physical approach to healing my pain. And that helped to a point, but it didn't completely resolve my pain. And so that took me on a journey of really becoming in deeper communication with my body and letting my body show me the way. And that then took me into a pathway of doing what I would call the inner work, you know, really looking mm -hmm. at yourself, your personality traits, um, what, what lights you up, what is your value system, uh, you know, what are things about yourself that you feel um, don't really align with your values and how would you like to um, approach life differently so that you become more aligned with your values? So it was that progressive pathway for me. And I had a really incredible coach, uh, Kelly Brown, who facilitated uh, this growth, if you want to call it that, and very slowly... I started to share aspects of my own journey, but also how I saw uh, the pelvic health world, um, pelvic wellness from both a physio perspective, but more of a integrative or holistic perspective as well. But it was really a tiptoe, tiptoe mm. before I dived straight in eventually. And there were so many aspects and emotions that came up with that you know how do I share this what are people going to think particularly what a physio is going to think of this different way of approaching pelvic wellness is this in my scope of practice is this beyond my scope of practice do I have to use evidence-based um, medicine for 
all of what I offer or is there a room for uh, an understanding of women's intuitive uh, abilities as well? So all of those pieces, it was not like I had this huge one big aha moment that then um, gave me the answer and the pathway. It was like these little stepping stones, little pieces of information and a continual uh, growing of confidence within my own self and my own skills and my knowledge and understanding. That was, it took a lot of time. And then once I was committed to it and started sharing in the way that I did, I knew that there was no turning back. And the results that I was then able to see with the women who I was working with um, spoke for themselves really. And then I was felt more confident even now in the approach that I do use. So that, that's one thing I have uh, admired about how you, I guess, present the information is a lot of it is embedded in your own story and you do share quite a lot of your your story on social media and even on your website, bits and pieces of your stories out there. Was that, and you kind of alluded to it then about like tiny little steps, but was that a difficult decision to make in the first place that, okay, yeah, I am going to share my story or, because I think, I think a lot of people think of whether it's right or wrong. They, they kind of think of like pelvic health, like it's, it's not taboo, but it's almost like very private kind of like, this is my, my business and it's not something that other people need to know about. And I, I wonder whether that's something that you've, you've found kind of, I guess, contributes to ill health uh, in that, that realm just due to the fact that it's not often talked about. Absolutely. There's, there's uh, so much there. So first and foremost, I wholeheartedly believe in an embodied understanding, meaning that I've lived and felt the experiences of you know how it feels in my body and I feel like it's part of my nature is to share from personal experience because I can speak to that feeling like I am an expert in my own body and my own health like I don't I can't get that wrong because I'm speaking from personal experience Mm. so for, for me that feels really right and quite easy and true to what you're saying too there is a a point in like oh do is that sharing too much or um you know will people how will people judge me for this and you know all of the things that roll around in your head uh but from a woman's perspective when we're talking about pelvic wellness that is one of the biggest uh barriers that we have to uh facilitating pelvic health is that it's often not talked about so sharing my own story then gives permission i guess for other women to share their story but also normalizes that this is just an aspect of our body um and yes it is very sacred private um there are certain things that i definitely would not share um because that is still my like not on social media yeah yeah. um, but with you know the right people in the right way then yes i would share you know my thoughts and feelings etc um but having that boundary, but only um, the individual, I guess, could know what that line is for themselves um, and where that is. Um, but, yeah, I feel like it is completely. And women relate to me and uh, felt feel drawn to me as a therapist, not because I'm the um, most 
uh, educated, masters qualified physiotherapists that exist, they relate to me because I share my story and because they see the different aspects in my approach. And that really is what now sets me up for um, being a therapist that people seek out rather than um, if I just went down the pathway of trying to learn more and become the, the best practical evidence-based physio with the highest qualifications. Um, and, yes, for some people that is their path and that will be, you know, what sets them up for success. Um, but that isn't my pathway and I know that and that's why sharing the story um, is so important um, to me now. And it's so easy for me to talk to that aspect as well. I don't sit here thinking of content to create. It's just like, oh, that feels, you know, important for me to share and so I share that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. Some of the other points you bring up before, what was your, what was the reception like when you first started doing it from like other physios? What was the reception like from within the profession, I guess? Yeah, and to be honest, there wasn't, um, there wasn't too many uh, thoughts thrown out there. Like I didn't have this um, group of people. You know, I've, I remember certain things along the pathway of comments of other therapists, um, things like I was um, developing some online programs before, well before COVID and it was seen more like how, how do you um, share physiotherapy services online? Mm. And now, of course, that's just become part now of the norm for many, <laughs> many people, many places. Yeah. Um, and so that was sometimes questioned um, and that the fact that I was charging for those services, like if you're going to develop this, you should just be doing it for free if you're so passionate about it, um, was another comment along the way. And I, I did have very few comments around um, you know, oh, do you do sort of that more woo-woo kind of, you know, um, those sorts of things? And I was like, well, yeah, um, I integrate other different aspects to my my therapy that feel, you know, appropriate for the women at that time. Um, but now, so it's kind of, you know, crickets for a while from other therapists, really. And now, having evolved more as the therapist that I've stepped into. I'm actually getting really nice inquiries from other therapists saying, I really love how you approach your work and I'd love to do something the same for myself and how do I do it? Did it, did it ever get to the point, because this is the other thing I see very common in OTs, is they'll go down one of two tracks in that they uh, do sort of, I guess, wait it out and eventually they're sort of new new quote-unquote uh, way of doing things becomes accepted or they get to a point where they just go, I just don't give a shit, like I'm just doing my myself. Did it ever get to that or were you very much the, like, I'm just going to keep going and then and see, like sort of essentially wait it out, I guess? Yeah, it was never really an option for me to wait it out because I am the type of person once there's been a decision made for me, um, there's no turning back. Once once you, someone said to me the other day, well, once you learn something, you can't unlearn it. And it was kind of like that. Once I had seen the value in a more integrative approach, I couldn't ignore that that was 
what I sensed was in best service for women. And so it would have felt like I was doing a disservice to them if I continued to do um, physio from a more traditional way. But at the same time, there was this, um, like when I, if I have a client sitting in front of me who came for, you know, pelvic therapy, I would sort of sense into where are they at in what do they want most from me as a therapist and then I will move from that place and often held back on the um, what I would call more holistic aspects until I was feeling like they were ready or that they were inquiring or asking. Yeah. Um, but now um, it's like I know that women come to me and this is, I don't really like the word ready. Like, are you ready for this work? Because, you know, you're, anyone can dive into this style of work without, um, you know, having, there's no prerequisite, right? Um, no, but I, but I, get, what, I, I get what you mean though. I, I do think, yeah. I do think there is an element of ready, but not necessarily like from a skill set point of view, but because it is, uh, it can it, it's almost not opposing, but it does sort of conflict with that sort of very Western medical model style of health that everyone's used to. If that's sort of hard grained in that this is what health is, then yeah, you kind of do need to be at least open, if not ready, depending yeah. on your term. You need to be open to this sort of other way of doing things. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and. I find now because I'm more embracing of my uh, approach that I really only attract women who are open yep. because I'm share I'm sharing more openly as well. And so that was the challenge. Like when, if I was only teetering on the cusp of sharing this, but not really embracing it, then that was where my clients were at as well. Like yeah. curious, but not embracing. And now I'm fully embracing. And so they are as well. Yeah, the other thing you brought up, and again, a very common thing I hear from a lot of OTs, how did you navigate the whole like, oh, is this evidence-based uh, aspect of moving into this this new space? It's very tricky, to be honest. And it was a continual check-in with my integrity as a therapist and knowing that I use, when I'm using traditional or physiotherapy approaches, I am definitely using evidence-based uh, approaches and I am committed to staying current with my evidence-based practices. So it was like a backing myself that, okay, I've got that knowledge and understanding, but there is this whole realm of work out there that women say feels very useful and valuable to them. And they're coming and saying, I feel like, the, and this is often the case, they've seen another therapist for a while and they're saying, I've done the physio aspects, but I still feel like there's something more to this than what I've seen. And so it's also then knowing and feeling into how much can I offer here and then still having that knowing and understanding of when to refer to somebody else who's more uh, qualified. So, for example, um, I 
hold the space for conversation, for sharing. Um, and often women who have experienced trauma, so maybe sexual trauma, uh, birth trauma, exa- um, for ex- example, and I'm not going to pretend that I have the qualifications of a psychologist, for example, and then I can refer to a psychologist mm. If that needs to be the case, often women are already seeing a psychologist, you know, when they come to work with me anyhow, uh, and they're wanting not to necessarily um, talk more and more about the trauma that they've experienced. This is from their, their how they share often. They, they want to feel it in a different way and that's what um, and move through it in a different way and that's what I offer and so I think it's a really it's a tricky one because we need to continue to check in with our scope of practice and yes I I think it's very important to use evidence-based medicine but there is a whole world of health out there that if we choose to ignore it um, like I am a true believer in the intuitive nature of you know women and men and sometimes we can't explain everything and sometimes the science it doesn't exist because in women's health for a lot of the time we haven't studied women's bodies in the ways that we could have because we're too variable like we don't fit the scientific model of having a consistent environment for a big for a start so um yeah i I don't know that I've answered your question greatly, but no, I feel like that we just keep keep checking in with. And if you're standing in your full professional integrity and you're questioning your, like, am I moving in or out of my scope of practice? As long as there's that reflective process and there's that awareness, then I feel like we have that. And I know from definitely from a physio perspective and OT as well, generally we're taught as practitioners to err on the side of such caution that we're so cautious. And so when we're so cautious with what we're offering, um, I I don't know that we really um, will step outside of that scope, but then we do see sometimes therapists who have that, um, I, I, you know, I can't talk for every single therapist that exists, right? Um, that sometimes, yeah, there will be people who step maybe outside of their scope of practice, but I feel like the ones who are questioning it are often the ones who are staying within it. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, that makes that makes complete sense. And I think what you've touched on and one thing that it, it sort of flags for me is a lot of people when they think about evidence-based practice think purely about like what's in the journals like what are the what do the journals say what does the journal say that's evidence-based practice when there are other components to it like we know that from our training we know that evidence-based practice is yes it's made up of that scientific evidence but it's also made up of the client's preference and the client's values as well as your own clinical experience and it's those three things on top of each other that sort of work out what the evidence-based practice is because I can say yep this is the best practice for this but if the patient doesn't want it or it's against a religious value or whatever the reason then that's obviously not going to be something that works for them so I feel like a lot of the stuff that you're doing you I mean you're, you're using your own clinical experience and you're obviously attracting the the women that are 
open to the services that you offer and that sort of stuff. So that's the two out of the three. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that you're doing, um, I, I often look at that sort of stuff more as a just as a generalized thing. Is it's it's very much a lot of Western, uh, sorry, Eastern philosophy that's now coming into our very Western medical world. And we've seen the same thing with things like mindfulness and meditation. Like, yeah, back 10, 15 years ago, that would have been like, oh my God, you're so woo-woo. That's like way out there. Whereas now there's, you can look in a journal, there's actual research evidence for it. And I feel like a lot of these other things that, that you're doing, including that stuff, is you're just sort of on the, the cutting edge and the, the evidence is coming. Like I know there's a, a guy that I work with who is a physio who's doing research into men's pelvic floor uh, health. Like it's a, it's a it's an emerging area within the scientific research, but in terms of evidence-based practice, that's not the only thing that makes it up. Exactly. And I, I love that you brought the meditation and mindfulness. And yes, there's, there's so much, you know, excellent evidence now to mm. support those practices. And I kind of think of, you know, how years and years ago before we had a GPS on our phone and even maps, like people navigated the world using the stars and the, you know, how the, that like they they could do all of this they didn't have a journal written about this is how you trace the stars and follow the land and that sort of thing but they knew it mm. and then this scientific model eventually captures up to then show oh what they that what they were doing way way back then was right um and it's it's sort of like we're waiting for this proof that it works when actually we can see in the response of how our body feels that it works. And of course, if it doesn't work for you, then it's not for you Mm. and that's okay as well. But what I also see in this, um, you know, in in this clinical evidence-based structure is that often we're thrusting these thoughts and ideas that this is what it looks like and needs to look like upon people and women and they're trying to tell us this doesn't feel right and this doesn't work for me, so what else do you have for me? And we're shut off as therapists saying, well, no, this is what the book says, so Mm. that's all I've got to offer when we've actually got so much more to offer. And it's so interesting in the um, women's health space is I'll just give one example. For like in the birth world, when we know that gold standard is to have a birth center uh, style set up where there is one midwife that follows you through your whole pregnancy, your birth and postpartum. Like there is such strong evidence to show that this is the best way for women to avoid uh, having complications and unnecessary intervention. But does that exist? Mm. No not very commonly and so there's a there's a uh disjointedness there that's not the best word but um of this is what the evidence says disconnect this is what the uh, evidence says and what we're offering is worlds apart so sometimes um you know even though the evidence exists it doesn't mean that um we're offering gold standard practice either I think the other thing too is like going back to the the mindfulness meditation example is you you were right you said like the science is essentially playing catch up in that 
where did the idea to actually do that research come from? It came from the fact that people were doing it and seeing experiential results. So it's like, okay, let's do some research so that then we can back it up and then we can call it evidence-based practice. So, and like, don't get me wrong, I am the probably the nerdiest, biggest proponent of using the evidence. And I think that if there is strong evidence towards doing a certain thing and you're doing something completely different, then that's a whole different ball game. But even within OT, like the evidence base for what we do, because we are in the global scheme of things, a very small profession, the evidence base isn't comprehensive. So even if you are doing some interventions, like uh, let me think of an example, me doing a walking program with a guy who had schizophrenia to reduce what he was having as sort of Parkinsonian symptoms, there's no evidence for that. It's not, there's nothing that says, if you have a guy who's got schizophrenia and he's experiencing Parkinsonian symptoms, you do this program and you blah, blah, blah. This is how it's structured and these are the results you should expect. This is me taking evidence from somewhere else and going, this actually might work for this guy. Let's try it. Like, it, the you can't, as, as concrete as evidence-based practice sounds, you can't be that concrete with it. You still need to be able to adapt and use your own clinical reasoning to go, okay, yeah, I'm not going to try like, oh, this guy needs a, I don't know, something completely random. Well, let's amputate his foot and see if he walks better. That's just <laughs> dumb. But like if I find a program like, oh, this program actually seems to work well for people with Parkinson's, this guy's having Parkinsonian symptoms, with it, but he doesn't have it. He is not diagnosed with it. Let's give it a try. What's the harm? The harm is he gets out and does some walking. Whoops. Okay. So you use your clinical reasoning to, yeah, weigh up the risk reward, all of that sort of stuff. But like, there's no concrete scientific evidence that that's exactly going to work with that exact person. You're still formulating that yourself. And I, I see exactly. that. I see that very similar to, to what you're doing here. Exactly. It, and it is. And this is why, you know, if there was an OT listening to this or a physio <clears throat> or anyone wanting to bring in a more integrated approach to their practice, I think what, what people trust in me is that I come from a physiotherapy background. Mm. So that, and, and that is ingrained in me. That's a skill set that I've learned and practiced for I don't know how many ever years. Um, but it's, yeah, it, even in physio, similarly to OT, a, a young profession, a small profession, uh, where the evidence, even when we're saying we've got strong evidence for this, when we really look at it, we're still, you know, we're not 100% sure that this particular thing is going to work with this particular client. And it's it's a blend of all of the, yeah, your personal practice, like you were saying, your clinical experience uh, and what the evidence does say. I think as long as we're drawing on all of that uh, and staying in that professional integrity then and knowing that, you know, we, we're here to offer um, wellness and first do no harm, then we can come from that space. I feel like it's when we're completely shut off of, well, there's no evidence to support that. There's plenty of physiotherapy practices that there was no evidence to support that, but people were finding that worked mm. um, and that's how they grew. 
And but yeah, like, that's like what I said, you're that's where the idea comes from to do the research. That's exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's it, it's interesting because uh, something that like going back to what you were saying earlier around scope of practice, which I find is a very interesting argument um, for a lot of OTs as well, because a lot of OTs do have that worry, like, oh, am I within my scope of practice? And I found throughout this your wording to be very specific and very good in the way I look at it for OTs in that, like, you can, I, I don't, you can do whatever you want. I don't care. This is like, but the OT scope of practice is one thing. And then if you want to do like something that we like, if like, oh, okay, I'm a powerlifting coach. If I'm going to do that, okay, that's a separate me. Like that's a different scope. Whereas I'm not doing powerlifting coaching and calling it OT. I found your wording to be very specific in that, like, this is physio. This is when I'm doing this. This is, you know, women's pelvic health physio. When I'm doing this, this is something else. Like you're very sort of, you seem to be very uh, deliberate in which parts are physio and which parts are other things. Is, mm-hmm. is, that, a, is that a conscious and, thing? Yeah, well, I think it's also from a, what to anticipate and expect and as a client when I'm stepping into this room with Taryn, um, what am I expecting here? So I offer different styles of sessions and I say I can offer you a very clinical pelvic mm. floor um, physio-based assessment treatment and that looks like this or I can offer you a more integrated style of therapy and it looks like this. Yep. And I say I certainly draw upon my knowledge and expertise as a physiotherapist, but then I also blend in other practices and you decide uh, as the client because you will know what feels best for you. Are you more drawn to this or are you more drawn to this? And then they get to decide what feels good for them. And some women will say, you know, first off, I want to just try just the physio practice. And then we often end up on the more integrative approach. And some women say they just want to go straight into the, um, you know, the deep dive into the the longer sessions that look very different. Um, But yeah, and I feel like it's more, um, I think, yes, to answer your question, there is a scope of practice um, integrity piece there. And there's also a, you know, I want to be very clear of what mm. you're expecting when you step into this room, because if you're coming into a space where I'm going to be um, sharing a very different therapeutic style than a traditional physio um, model of care, then the woman needs to know that, right, before she she steps in. Yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> I could just sort of picture like someone coming to you like, oh, yeah, a women's physio suite, and they walk in and you're burning sage and warming up rocks, and they're like, what's going on here? This is not what I was expecting. Whoa, this is different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, the you know, pelvic wellness in the world is, is confronting um, for a lot of women anyhow. Um, so to, you know, it, there's a lot of nurture and, you know, care and gentleness in in making sure that, and I am very deliberate in how I offer things because the more I learn is the more um, careful um, or care needs to be taken on on the approach rather than, you know, here I am, I'm the therapist and I'm the expert and um, I'll, I'll show you how things are going to work. It's really, uh, this is what I can offer and you decide as the woman, yeah. 
Yeah, that's all. And I, I think that's one of the reasons, besides the fact that I knew you, but like one of the reasons why I was very drawn to what you were doing and what you're putting out was, I mean, I've, because I worked in mental health my whole career, I never really, I, I don't think I've ever worked with a physio. So, but I'm, I'm aware, <laughs> like my brother's a physio, I'm aware of what physios do and that sort of stuff, but I've never worked with a physio. But your whole mindset around it was so different to every physio I'd ever known in that physio for me from, I, I, and I'm going to generalize here and I'm sure there's some physio that's going to hear this and hate me, but, um, seemed to be a very, it seemed to be aligned very closely with that Western medical model in that it was, uh, I guess quite prescriptive. You know, you've got this injury. Here are your evidence. Again, back to the evidence base. Here are the options for treatment. This is what we can do. These are some exercises. These are things that you can do to help fix it. Blah, blah, blah. It seemed to be very, people would go to a physio. And this is my experience going to physios as well for sports injuries. Go to a physio for their very unique, uh, expertise in movement, exercise, injury, tissue, uh, integrity, that kind of stuff. Whereas even on your website, you very much describe like you are the expert in your body, where it, which is a very, I'm like, you're going to be careful because you're starting to sound like an AT, but <laughs> it's a very different, like almost whole perspective on health than every other physio that I've ever heard of. Mm. Well, thank you. I appreciate the acknowledgement. And I... I have been that therapist, you know, that's, that is how we're trained mm. um, essentially is that this is the evidence, this is the, you know, um, the things that work, these are the things that don't work and, and particularly when you're working in a hospital environment and time is of the essence but also when I see, you know, and this is one reason why I've never wanted to work um outside of my own practice is that time is of the essence when you're in a business um, model as well and so there is a sense of yes we will we will draw the information out of you but we will only draw what we specifically want to hear and know about you so that then we can formulate our problem list and our treatment plan which is very different to um you share with me what feels important to you about your pelvic wellness. And, yes, I will ask some questions about your pelvic health um, so that I have an idea of what's going along on physically. But, you know, for example, one question that I often ask women that just really, like, the way their face changes is, you know, they're talking about birth or something, and I say, so how do you feel about that? Mm. And it's the first time they've ever been asked, how do you feel about that? And the way that their face changes and the tears come and they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realise this is how I felt about it because no one has ever asked them. And so all of that emotion is sitting there. And if we think that the body is just a physical makeup of muscles and tissues and bones and not emotion, then what makes us, you know, <laughs> you know human beings we we all feel emotion and we all know that we store emotion in our body we know like this is the easy way to put this when you get stressed 
and your jaw tightens and your shoulders tighten and you get a headache from that, we can see clearly that the environment that we are in produces physical symptoms. But for a lot of people, it can be like, oh, there's a stretch around, you, you, you hold emotion in your body, what's this bullshit you're talking about? But actually, when you say it like, oh, have you ever had a stress tension headache? They go, oh, yeah, I know, I've felt that for sure. I think that is. <laughs> well, it's, just, it's the same in the pelvis, but there's just a different trigger, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really is important that, and this is the piece that women often feel, and I, I know I'm aware that I keep speaking to just to women in my experience of work, and you have a, a audience who are men and women, but often they don't seek assistance in their pelvic health, um, in the area of pelvic health, because they've had these uh, the ways of being treated that are thrust upon them, very quick assessments, pap smears, for example, very traumatic for women when they say, lay up on the bed, legs apart, and then just do the process. And the woman's there thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, what just happened to me and my body and leave feeling like traumatised from the experience because there hasn't been a slow nurturing, there's no rapport and relationship built, um, no understanding, have you ever experienced um, you know, trauma to this area and, you know, how do you feel about, like I'm always asking women, how do you feel about this assessment? And some women will say, oh, I feel no, no problems at all, I feel really relaxed. And some women will say, I feel quite anxious, I'm not sure. And then so the follow-up question is, so what would have you feel safe? You know, so there's, there's space for that conversation, but often in the way that we're taught is not to have that space for those pieces of conversation. It's, I'm the therapist, you're the client mm. or patient the terminology. And so this is the, you know, as, and even though when we're being taught at a university level, we learn things about communication and the power difference between therapist and patient and that you want to be on the same level. And it's all sits in there, um, but at a level that it's still not acted upon in or acted upon in a way that I would sense is truly an equality of power. I don't mm. even like that word, but um, neutral ground, um, an actual an honouring of you are the expert in your body even though that they might say that the the actions that speak louder are not in alignment with that no i can i can definitely see that i i feel like i wonder whether i mean i actually i don't wonder i know that it would be very different those sort of conversations coming from a woman, like it would definitely wouldn't have the same effect if I was to sort of start those kinds of conversations because I don't, I don't, for lack of a better term, I don't have any skin in that game. I don't understand it because I don't have the necessary anatomy to understand it. Um, but I feel like what you've just brought up is a takeaway that everyone can use in any practice area around the, the trauma of healthcare. Like healthcare doesn't matter what the healthcare is. Like there's evidence and going back to evidence again. But there is evidence around trauma being caused by people being asked the same questions over and over and over and over again by a hospital, uh, like during a hospital stay. Like there's there's evidence, obviously, of the the physical trauma due to certain uh, assessments, techniques, surgery, all that sort of stuff. 
And I don't think that's you often given the necessary respect or uh, I guess space that, that it should be because healthcare is, you know, we, people often think that, oh, they're, they're coming to care to fix that. They're coming to healthcare to fix whatever's going on when, yes, that is true, but we also need to be aware that where we, and I say this to OTs all the time, like, when they're involved with us, we become a part of that person's environment. And if we're, like like you just described then, like they're, a person's environment has a, an impact on them emotionally. You talked about stress headaches, that sort of stuff. It manifests in a physical way. And when we become a part of that person's environment, we also become a part of the the things that can actually cause trauma to a person. And we need to be very aware of it at bare minimum and actually bring it up and consciously discuss and put things in place that we can minimize it um, as, a, as an even better step. Like actually asking those questions. They're not hard questions to ask. Like, oh, how are you feeling about what I'm about to do? Whatever it is, whether it's, you know, if you could be working with someone who's had a stroke and you're trying to get them to stand up for the first time in, in a couple of weeks or whatever it is, I don't know. But asking how someone's feeling is a really tiny little step that can have huge implications for the person. Like even just the fact that they may feel heard for the first time within a hospital stay can be a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's when you're coming from your awareness in mental health of of trauma mm. and and how much people are walking around with. And I mean, this is this goes back to also day-to-day living. When when we ask somebody how are you? It's not like I'm very intentional now, like how are you? And I'm waiting for the you tell me how you really are, mm. not oh good, thanks. And you know, the because that comes back to the importance of having conversations that are real in real life to manage our real mental health issues that um, a lot of us are walking around with, um, struggling with, because we don't have this open dialogue and connected conversation. Uh, And so when we open it up, one, to clients, the patients, but also practicing it in our day-to-day life and also practicing how it feels for you to feel like I shared how I really feel and I was seen and heard in that experience how does that change for you in your body? And then you get a really embodied understanding of, oh, wow. that Like for me, my friend asked me yesterday, how are you going, how are you feeling, and how are you feeling in your body? So these beautiful questions, I have a five-week-old baby. Um, you know, people could ask, oh, how's things? How's baby? Are they sleeping well? Or, you know, yeah, I'm tired. Mm. And that's, you know, that's the essence of the conversation. But when I could really share with her, this is how I am feeling. I was like, just to have that and feel like she heard me and she knows and has an understanding, even though she's not in my body. But I, I shared that. And that is my path to wellness. Whole body wellness is partly sharing how do we feel in our being and in our body? So I feel it's important that we practice in our day-to-day as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, the people who, who listen will no doubt be well aware of my passion within mental health and I've openly spoken about my thoughts and my experiences with it and that what you've touched on there is one of my 
I would say pet peeves uh, where we have all these sort of really valuable things like for specifically for mental health, like, you know, are you okay day and all that sort of stuff. And when I see people that'll just like, oh, post on social media, like, oh, reach out if you're not okay. I'm like, that's not how it works. Like, it's all well and good. Like you said, like you can just say, oh, you're doing and you're going to get that sort of default trained response because that's. Mm. That's just what you say when someone says, hey, you going? Whereas a genuine check-in, something that's very different. Even like following that up with no, like, how are you actually? Like, how are you really? Like, one, shows that you genuinely actually give a shit. And two, it's going to be much more meaning. You're going to get a much more meaningful answer, hopefully, unless they genuinely are fine. And then they'll express it and you'll see a change in their expression while they do it. But also, you know, you may just be that person that that, per- that other person needs on that day to just feel that little bit better, that little bit more connected to, mm-hmm. you may make their day just with that one question. And that's, that's like how simple it can be, but how often we, I guess, misread the signs or think we do. I mean, I know it's always coming from a good place, but I just feel like we're at a stage now where we don't necessarily need more awareness of mental health. We need to actually be doing something. And that's and that's with a lot of things. Everyone's like, oh, I'm doing this for awareness. I'm like, I'm aware of it. I understand that it's there and it exists. <laughs> what are we going to do about it? Like, awareness isn't, it doesn't hold the same clout as it did 15 years ago when no one had heard of, you know, half of the things that are being made aware of nowadays. So, yeah, I think you, you bang on with that. I can totally relate to it. Yeah, and it's time and space, right? It's feel and it it's so often this is the the cause of poor health, poor mental health, poor physical health too, is the you know the busyness of the lifestyle and not slowing down. Like sometimes we just people don't feel like they have the time to actually ask, "How are you?" Um, and I, there's so much of my work is helping women to slow down and to breathe and to you know take some real pauses in their life um, because we are trained to just push on press on you know we've got to bang bang do all the things um and and that's a a, a big problem within the mental health world but also in the pelvic health world mm. uh, as well and so I think uh, practicing that one asking and actually really checking in like you're saying um and that that's slowing down uh and how does that feel when you actually offer the space and that as a clinician too when you actually offer this space not this has to this appointment needs to end in 30 Mm. minutes you know and yes there is an honoring of your own time and their time as well but what has to happen in that 30 minutes doesn't have to look like anything particular if you're offering what this person needs in this moment. Yeah, I think what you've done broadly is something that I think see this as the big difference between sort of, I guess, a more generalized view of physiotherapy is you've almost incorporated a mental health aspect into a physiotherapy skill set. And then you're you're choosing to apply that to women's health specifically and pelvic uh, health even more specifically, I guess, niching down. But I, because I, I, the, the subjects I'm teaching at the moment, I actually do have physiotherapy students in it. 
And that's the big difference that we're, we're seeing. We're looking through communication and seeing the differences in the professions being that the physios are generally very prescriptive, very structured, very evidence-based, all of that. And the OTs are a little bit more, I don't know, I'm biased. So I think they're a little bit more free with what they can look at and how they implement it and what they actually look at, which is why I think that OTs end up working in mental health as a profession and physios don't, which... I'd always sort of wondered, like I've always obviously known that there's no physios really in mental health, but I've always like, is there a space? Like I couldn't really work out how that might fit, how a physio might work into mental health until I came across your content again when you sort of started reaching out. And I'm like, dude, that's that's how it happens. Like we know that anxiety, depression, any any kind of mental issue manifest physically i can guarantee you if you go onto a, a a mental health ward or any client within a mental health team there isn't a person there that is having their own sort of mental issues that isn't also like the or that is 100 percent physically fit like there are physical manifestations even if it's due to the socio-cultural aspect of the the illness there are massive spikes in things like diabetes, um, like poor physical fitness, poor eating and nutrition. Like there's a lot of physical issues that come along with mental health. And I feel like your, your perspective on health in general and what physios can do with it is that, like that's where I can see that bridge between like this is how a physio can work within a mental health space. And I, I would encourage if there are any other physios that are listening or that people know of that are working within that space, maybe not necessarily in women's health, but maybe with other aspects of, of people's physical health and get in contact because I'm keen to chat. I like this. Yeah, awesome. And I, I feel like it's this whole body awareness, right? So, yes, the the physical, the emotional, spiritual the energetic, like all this, all of this stuff makes up the whole person, and we we are very much like physiotherapy, physical therapy, physical body therapy can just have that narrow approach, mm. and sometimes that's what then makes you an expert in that field. Yes, but then we don't need to have just the blinkers on of the physical body and see more of the the whole picture, and conversely and you know sometimes physios see somewhat of what ot's um do as a bit fluffy in yeah. quotation marks and that yeah, is definitely. again what the response i was concerned of is like what's this fluffiness that you're offering but actually in my experience of my own body and working with the women who i do it's all that other stuff that can help to resolve the physical issues mm. or concerns um, alongside of the physical body approach. And so really when, like you're saying, what what we call of a whole body approach um, or integrated approach, holistic, um, is just an appreciation that this person is more than just a body um, and that all that other stuff isn't fluffiness. It's actually important pieces mm. of that person to actually consider and value. Yeah, and I, I think I think there's a lot of OTs that don't do it very well as well. Um, I, it's it's interesting because a lot of our models 
do incorporate things like spirituality and all that kind of stuff. But I feel like what you've touched on before is we need to not look at it as a separate entity, like the physical, the emotional, all of that stuff is like enmeshed. It all works together. It all has an impact on one another. Your physical health can have an impact on your mental health. Your mental health can have an impact on your physical health. Spiritual health can have an impact on all of it. Like it's all like one thing and it's it's like kind of like a, I think of it like you know if you're baking a cake or something if you change one ingredient it's going to change the whole thing like if I change the amount of flour or if I change the I don't know what else goes in a cake milk maybe if I change the amount of milk like it's going to change the whole mixture and I'll end up with something that you know probably doesn't taste very good so I think we need to even with our models a lot of our models or the way people interpret our models they seem to look at it, okay, so here's the physical over here and here's the psychological over here and the spiritual over here and they look at them as separate entities and quite often they're taught that way. Um, but I feel like we need to get better at looking at people as a whole. <laughs> I mean, I know that makes sense to you, but I'm like, to everyone else, we need to look at people as a whole and the fact that all of these different entities that you may have been taught that they're separate but they're not they all interrelate and they all impact each other exactly and a good example from physio you know it's like oh when you're assessing the hip for example don't just assess the hip make sure you access assess the lower limb and the foot and the spine and the neck and shoulder as well because it's all connected Mm. and so we can see in the physical body that yeah, something in the neck as a problem can actually be causing the back pain and we can make that link. But when we, and, and sometimes, you know, uh, and from a physio point of view, when we, we know, and I can speak from a hospital experience environment, when someone's mental health concern has caused, uh, say, an ataxic gait, for example, um, and that's how it's manifested for them, um, and the, actually the evidence does say to treat this uh, gait pattern the same way you would treat it if it was coming from a, a stroke, for example. And so that's, you know, this is piecing together as I speak, right? Hey. Um, but it, it, that's, I feel like, a, a great example of it is all interconnected and if we can appreciate the hips connected to the neck and the back and, mm. you know, we can appreciate more deeply than that, that, okay, the whole body and the whole person is connected to the whole body and the whole person. Yeah. And, I mean, we can go even further and then say, like you said, that we are just a, a person, a body and a physical experience, but then our external environment also impacts us as well. You know, we even know, you know, do we not get enough sunlight, for example, can impact our mental health. So we, when we're looking, honing right in, um, we're getting a very narrow view of the wellness of an entire being. Um, and sometimes that is necessary and good. Um, we can't all, like, we can't be every expert, right? Mm. And but, but I feel like our vision needs to be um, more appreciative of the whole person um, for sure. I mean... I, I, um, I, I guess in some ways I work in my own little bubble at the moment and I'm, I'm really becoming the best therapist I can in 
the practices that I do, but I am looking more and more as I'm getting more questions from other people, like how do you integrate this approach? I feel like it's something that therapists are perhaps interested in, but it's we're unsure of how to do it as well. Um, and I do sense that in, you know, just like meditation and mindfulness has expanded over the 10 years, you know, hopefully um, in 20 years' time, someone's listening back to this podcast going like, whoa, it was, this, this approach was so different back then. Um, <laughs> they called and it. Now you heard it here first. Stream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is your exclusive for 20 years' time. <laughs> I expect royalties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... You are also within, so you've developed this approach. You're very much living this approach and, and practicing this approach. Um, you, you've mentioned an integrative approach a few times, but what sort of stuff, just briefly, like what sort of stuff do you is included in that integrative approach? Yeah, so it is the meditation, the mindfulness, the movement, um, but it's when I call movement, like it's not me saying, I'll do a squat now, fix this position in your body and no, your knees are meant to be, you know, over your second toe and don't go, like my movement is how does your body feel? How would it like to express that? Move through this emotion, move through this, let your body lead you and guide you. You know, sometimes I use, yeah, some crystals or some cards, um, like oracle cards and things like that sound healing but even all of that stuff I feel like um they're nice to haves um but do they you know if we were relying on a crystal for therapy I would be concerned as well because there's nothing outside of you that's going to um help you like it's all within you so it's yeah. more of helping the woman to be in communication with her body and the facilitation of that so when you feel your pelvic symptoms, what do they feel like to you? How does that feel physically? What does that feel? What, what does that bring up emotionally for you? And if you were to connect energetically to your, you know, feminine, masculine energy, um, your being energy or your doingness, your rest and your action, um, put it into that sort of term, terminology, where do you think you're sitting on this line and what are, what is your body needing and often you know the answers are I need more rest I need to dance as a woman and express my femininity um, I need to put in place you know some stronger boundaries around um, you know what I'm doing in my life and how much I'm saying yes to I need to um, feel more love and connection from my husband before we are intimate sexually. Like, and these are all the things that bring into the physical wellness of pelvic health. And they might seem like you're not addressing anything to do with pelvic wellness, but they have everything to do with it. So that's to me is the integrative approach is you be in communication with your body and what does it need from you? It will show you. And then that becomes, then you've got the tools as a person um, to continue to thrive in your body and feel well in your body because you know how to talk to your body and know how to respond to what it needs. That's awesome. You sound so much like a mental health OT. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Is well, it like I'm the glad you can describe. Oh, I just feel like, like this is the first physio I've been able to talk to. They're like, I understand everything that you're saying. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. So you're also 
not necessarily reaching out because you've already done it, but you're also a very big, I think, content creator. You've got multiple podcasts or had multiple podcasts. You've just written a book. You post some like awesome, really informative information all the time on your social medias. How how does that fit in? Because I can be honest, and back in the day when we were at uni, I, well, I couldn't see either of us sort of being content creators at, at that stage. It was a very different stage of life. But how did, how did you get comfortable doing that? Because like, for me, I think a lot of people, I get asked that a lot with regards to the podcast, but I'm like, you can just hear me. A lot of your stuff is like really, you're really being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. Like you, a lot of your stuff is, is video on, on social medias and then like your book. You're putting out your story and, and a lot of information. Like you, you're being very, I've, I've got this, I can hide behind this. Whereas you're, you're very upfront and, and very vulnerable with, with your audience. How do you, how did you get comfortable with that? Oh gosh, it's a continual practice. And it's like, you know, people talk about the vulnerability hangover where you do something and then you're like, oh my God, people are really going to see that and have an opinion about it. And, you know, I'm going to, you know, they, they're going to offer their judgment. But really for me, what it's taken for me is to do what I would refer to as the inner work and become really comfortable in your own skin. And when you're really comfortable in your own self, doesn't mean that you still don't, you know, question yourself and, you know, um, you know, have that, you know, uh, mind going rampant and like having its time of talking to you and asking all the questions and self-doubt and criticism and all that sort of thing. But it has softened so much for me because when you're really aligned with and connected to your values and your vision, um, that chatter that ha- happens is just chatter and I can just go, okay, that's there and it's going to be there regardless or not but it's softened so much because I'm so connected to the vision um and so that becomes less important of you know what did I look like what did I sound like and and I know the only way I can work in the way that I can the only reason is because I put myself out there I had this conversation so for me um too like having this conversation with you brings more clarity to me of like oh I didn't like when what you're reflecting back to me is a lot of things that I didn't even know about myself or hadn't seen yet. And then that brings me clarity and go, oh, and so I can see that having this voice and practicing um, using my, you know, my body and my voice and my story and that sort of thing also has a positive impact on me becoming more aware of how do I put this into words? How do I share this with people? Mm. Um, And really, this is like it's just life like (laughs) I sometimes have to just remind myself you know yes I wrote a book and I've put it out there it feels very vulnerable people are buying it people are going to have an opinion about it and then I like sometimes get into that scary space of like what could this all turn out like and then I'm like you know what in five years time ten years time is it going to really matter um hopefully it matters for the better um there's more awareness and conversation um or if it was a complete flop and no one bought the book or whatever um does it really matter no I, I practice I put myself out there I'm living the life experience I'm doing the thing and um that's that I think I think that's one thing because I do get asked a lot of people podcasts seem to be a thing where every OT either is really getting into them or there's quite a lot of people trying to start them and I get asked that stuff a lot 
with regards to like when should I start? And I think what you just tapped into there is, is it is that kind of chicken or the egg where a lot of people think like, oh, I've got to be in the right headspace and I've got to get all my ducks in a row and then I can start when in reality for a lot of us, you just start and then you use it as the growing opportunity. Exactly. Don't wait because the clarity doesn't come, the experience doesn't come, the expertise doesn't develop yeah. without the action being taken. And so we can sit here waiting and waiting and waiting to be ready, um, but we will obviously not be ready unless we take the action. And that's part of our, our growth as practitioners, clinicians, um, and we know that from, you know, the time that we're, you know, at university, unless you went into that practical environment and actually did the thing, you can read as many books as you like, um, but until you put your hands on a person or until you engage in the real conversation, you, you're not going to be there. So there's no point waiting and waiting to be, you know, perfect because that's never going to happen anyway. Yeah. The one thing, I mean, there are, there are a lot of uh, practitioners moving into more sort of content creation, but one thing that I, is very unique uh, is the book because I don't see a lot of practitioners that have written a book. How did that come about? How did you come up with the idea for that? Like just woke up one day and went, you know what, I'm going to write a book. Well, actually, it, it <laughs> kind of was like that. Um, there's been something in the background for a long time of like wanting to write a book and the reason for me like partly like you're saying with a podcast you can sit you, you're hidden in yeah. some ways um but for me the book piece is that you don't have to be out on show you can be you know um you know sitting at the beach um writing and you don't have to be recording or creating it but you can just be writing down some thoughts so writing for me is um, I wouldn't say that I'm an excellent writer or anything like that, but it's something that I feel um, at ease with. And I do remember the day I was on, at, um, down at Y River having a bonfire, drinking a glass of wine, the kids were running around, and it was like this message, like you need to write a book. And I was like, okay, I'm writing a book. And I didn't know what the book would be about, who it's for or anything like that, but then the words started to just develop on the page um, and the book eventually came to life. Um, and it does feel like a it's just meant to be type thing because the synchronicities along the way have been incredible. Um, but I really like the idea of a book because it, this it, much of what I talk about is um, it is taboo for a lot of women. It is secretive. It's not talked about. Um, women are unsure. Like, and to even... I get to have the conversations with women who call me before a session and say, I, I feel like I need to see you and I want to see you, but there's something stopping me because I'm scared and I'm anxious. Yeah. And, and they say to me, I'm going to think of every excuse in the book before I actually get myself into the room with you. So I know that about um, women in their experience. And so having a book is a way of, you can have it, you can be in your own private space, um, you don't need to even be watching a video or, you know, you can take it at your own time, steady, steady, um, refer to it, put it away when it's feeling too much, bring it back out again when you're ready to go again. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's 
um, it's not like I've planned like, oh, a book would be something great to <laughs> help. Um, it, but, it, but in hindsight, I'm like, oh, this is why a book is feeling really good. Yeah, yeah. So what's what? Tell me about the book. Like, what's what's in it? What's it? Who's it for? Tell me mm-hmm. everything. So it's called Body Conscious. So, um, of course, you know, becoming conscious of the body and having that conscious communication with the body. Um, a woman's help. Uh, a woman's guide to holistic pelvic wellness and feminine embodiment. And so, within the book, it is a a a space to sit with and learn about these the clinical evidence-based practices of physiotherapy and uh, pelvic wellness, but also adding the Eastern blend, so like the science and soul of pelvic wellness. And I'm very much for here's the information and the practical pieces that we need to know and understand, and then here is the embodiment through a practice so this is how you will sense and feel it in your body and you then you know engage with the practice and then from that engaging in the practice you know more will be revealed to you uh and so certainly there are throughout the book you know reflective um prompts or things to contemplate um ask yourself ask your body and it's for women in general my audience seems to be often women during significant pivotal transitions in their life, particularly pregnancy, birth, postpartum, motherhood, menopause. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, there's there's per, um, particularly pieces around um, those transitions in the life um, cycle of a woman in there as well. Uh, and, yeah, that's that's the book who it's for, um, how it's come about. I think I've answered all your questions there. Thank you for asking. No, that's okay. Do you think, obviously, it seems like it's written for, uh, I guess, in health, you'd say, the the people we work with, like the client, like it's designed for them. Is it? Would it be worth reading for other health practitioners to sort of start getting their head around that or is it not really designed for that kind of thing? I've I've certainly written it with the woman receiving it in mind, so yeah. the the client, the but um, many so yoga therapists, for example, who work with women, osteopaths, other physios who are wanting to work with women, um, are buying this book, and so from a Yes, there would be the clinical understanding. If you were someone who, say, was a a women's health expert and a pelvic floor physiotherapist, is this going to give you new information that you aren't already aware of clinically or evidence-based-wise? No, but the complementary aspect and the way in which I um, have worked with women and then been able to see how women feel in their bodies um it's it's the conversations that i've got to have with women and the way i've experimented um in sharing my work with women that's the piece that they will pull from that book and go this is what brings them value and then certainly other um, practitioners for example yoga therapists or uh uh 
some osteopaths, some of them already work specifically within women's health already. Um, but for, for them, they're, they're bringing in the pieces of, they often have that understanding of the Eastern uh, approach, uh, but they're gaining from the book the more the, the science aspects um, and also the practices and how you would guide um, women through these particular practices so that then they can take them and make them their own as well. Awesome. How can people get it? They can get it through my website, Is um, particularly in Australia. That's their preferred way um, of purchasing in the sense that um, – Amazon, unfortunately, with books, for example, take the recommended retail and then they bump up their additional price and then their postage as well. Um, So I I like to uh, suggest that people um, head to my website and buy directly through me. Um, And if they are outside of Australia, uh, then Amazon, Booktopia, for example, are If you're local in Townsville, um, Mary Who Bookstore, Kids in Harmony. So uh, there are a few places that are stocking it locally uh, as well. So very appreciative to um, those other small businesses who have been supporting me as well. It's really nice. Support the local. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks heaps, dude. It's been really good to catch up. It's amazing. And like you said, back from um, drinking beers um, and enjoying like crazy conversations. And I don't think that we were particularly wild at university um, compared to many, many people. Not compared to Um, some. No. Um, But, you know, things have changed, right? And we're both in different um, points in our life now. And it's really nice to connect and. and I really do appreciate the the reflections that you've given back to me as, a, you know, how you can, sometimes I really struggle with how do I share what I do as a, a therapist. Um, and so, so really bringing in that mental health component and you um, sharing uh, that observation or connection through what you've heard um, is really nice as well. So it's always great, great to have these conversations um, and, yeah, really fun. So thank you for having me on. Absolute pleasure. And I've ordered your book, but you have to sign it. Oh, great. All right. I put a special message in there. Um, maybe I can go back through some old photos and find oh, I don't know if anyone wants to see those. Oh, God. I do see them every now and then. I'm like, wow, that was a different time. I know. Time. Facebook memories, right? Pop yeah. up and you're like, oh, gosh, I do remember that. I have vague, vague recollections of some of those times. <laughs> Ah, great. That's great. If you liked this episode and want to check out more, head over to OccupiedPodcast.com or search Occupied Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. If you have thoughts or reflections on the topics discussed today, please do get in contact. We'd love to hear from you. And lastly, if you got some value from this and you want to help us out, like, subscribe, share it with a friend. Remember, be good to yourself, be good to others, and always keep occupied. If anything that you have heard today has piqued your interest and you are interested in getting a copy of Taryn's book, we have one to give away. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it away to one lucky member of 
Occupied Plus over on Patreon. So if you would like to be in the running and also get yourself some extra podcast episodes and some really valuable resources, jump on over to patreon.com forward slash Occupied Plus. You can join on any tier to enter this competition. As little as $4 US a month, so as little as a cup of coffee a month, and you can start getting extra resources and go in the running to win this book. I will post it anywhere in the world for you because I like you guys. So the competition is going to run until the 1st of June. So join the Patreon, send me a message if you like, and I will draw a random name from our list of Patreon members. On the 1st of June, I will get in contact with you and I will ship that book over to you for your reading and learning pleasure. Thanks again for your support. Thanks again for listening and good luck.